you're going to get overwhelmed, you're going to get demoralized, and you're going to give up. And they tell you little things, and let's just take this one evolution at a time. Just be successful with this one thing that's in front of you. Don't worry about the, the, the obstacle course and three-mile run I'm going to throw your way in a couple hours. Don't worry about me calling you out of the barracks tonight and all the, the hydro reconnaissance that you're going to do and freezing cold water with the waves crashing on you. Don't worry about that stuff. Just worry about finishing what I'm asking you to do right now and doing it really, really well. And that gets back to controlling your mind and being resilient and, and being able to operate at a high level of stress. So welcome to episode 85 of the AFT Construction Podcast, and I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with ex-Navy SEAL and the CEO of Killcliff, John Timar. And for those of you that may not know, Killcliff is an all-natural energy drink. In fact, Joe Rogan speaks about it all the time on his podcast and social media. And John, his story is fascinating. Uh, being an ex-Navy SEAL, he and I connected offline and just the way he approaches business and uh, his mental focus and how that applies from all his training in the Navy SEALs to now running a small business. And we, we speak a lot about the importance of focus and collaboration and empowerment and how you hire and how you work with the team. Just as with the Navy SEALs, your life depends on how you work together. Well, it's so much more important in business as well to make sure you're successful. And that's what really turns uh, any company to be successful is the ability to work and empower each other and, and hand that baton off. And John shared some amazing information, talked about Killcliff, the brand itself, the product, how they've built this organic and authentic audience based on their marketing strategies, doing a non-traditional business in a very traditional business marketplace. Great information. You'll love this episode with John and his background. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast, and I'm Brad Levin, and today we're very fortunate to have with us the CEO of Killcliff, Mr. John Timar. Welcome, John. Hey, Brad. Great to be here. How are you, man? Doing very good. You know, I was very excited to have you on. Not only have I heard so many good things, and you know, you and I have spoken offline, but the, you know, the connection with the Navy SEALs and what you're doing now with Killcliff, which I'm a huge fan of Killcliff and everything you're doing, I, you know, there's a lot of similarities, I think, um, between being a Navy SEAL and business. I mean, I myself, I'm not in the military. I have a military background, my grandfather, and I grew up in San Diego. So as a kid, we go to Coronado, we see the SEALs training, you know, they're on the beach and stuff. And so what have you seen, John, you know, those similarities between a Navy SEAL when you were there as a SEAL and to now running a small business, although it's not really a small business anymore, you've taken off. So what are some of the similarities between the two? Yeah, so I, I did. I didn't have that that background growing up. I grew up. I was a. My dad was an attorney, and my my mother was a teacher. So a bit like business and and you know, uh, building uh, product focus. That was just nothing that was in my DNA until the SEAL team. So maybe the SEAL teams was the uh, the kicker that that kind of turned uh, my mentality, my mindset. Um, but, um, gosh, I mean, I've I've seen a lot of SEALs kind of become successful entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of people from a similar type of background, special operations background, uh, there's there's a lot that you, I guess, that you learn along the way in that, that environment and the selection environment for whatever it is you're doing. And for my particular ride, it was the SEAL teams. It translates to um, uh, this small business, uh, entrepreneurial type of endeavors. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, 
Well, yeah, that's interesting. You use a term I never have heard in business, but it, it just got me thinking. I wrote it down. You said select, selection environment. Anything about in business, selection environment, right? We're selecting the products that we're either producing or supplying. You know, the if we're in customer service, you're selecting the customer base, the employees, you know, the training and all that stuff. You know, maybe we dive into Navy SEALs because I think it's really interesting, you know, for any of us. You know, it is a selection process. It's not like anyone who wants to be a SEAL can be a SEAL. So what goes right. into that selection process, you know, as far as your training, you know, I remember seeing the Navy SEALs in the wintertime and full <laughs> fatigues laying on the shore as that breaks hitting them in the middle of winter. Yeah, and that's brutal. And they just sit there for hours as that water's hitting them and you're not fully submersed in the water, you know, so it's, you, you don't have that, you can't acclimate. So you're just getting hit with that breeze and that, and that shoreline break. Man, those are great memories. Just hearing you say that and describe <laughs> that. Did that you go visual. through that too? Yeah, well, I mean, for now, now let's let's just put it in, in the timeline when I was a SEAL uh, and when I went through and started the whole process was in 95. So clearly a lot's changed since 1995. So I'll tell you what, it, there's some commonalities from my experience that probably still hold true today um, for sure. So selection selection started, you know, it's, it's just a big pool of people. And initially they're looking for, uh, you know, physical and psychological profiles of people that are likely going to be successful because it's a total crapshoot when you put people in, I'll speak from what I know, which is, which is the SEAL teams and Bud's training and the whole environment process to become a SEAL. When you put people into that, I mean, it's, it's so hard to, to know which person exactly is going to be the one that makes it through because there's a level of, you can test people psychologically for, how they might respond to certain types of stimulus, how they might respond to certain types of stress and, and, and uh, evaluation type of format, right? Which is something you go through and you get screened in boot camp. It's just basically, is this person stable? And are they at some minimum level of intelligence that they could have a chance of being successful, right? So that's as as literally, that's the, that's the psychological survey going into it. There's also an element of, can you pass a, a basic physical test where you can meet the minimum requirements on day one. It's all I care about. Can you meet the minimum requirements on day one? Um, so you have a pool of people that try out. When I when I went through and from that pool of people, the day I tried out, there's probably there's probably about 500 of us that tried out at, at boot camp. And then from that 500, there was I mean probably maybe 10 percent were were through that first phase. They were going to have an opportunity to go uh, continue on to to actual SEAL training and see if they could make it through. When I classed up, there was 130-ish, maybe 140 of us that classed up together, all different backgrounds, all different, um, you know, levels of fitness. Um, and when we, of that group of 130-ish that went through training, there were around, I think there's about eight of us that graduated that went straight through of that 130. So, um it, it was obviously very, very uh, challenging. There was a huge attrition rate. Um, and uh, it, they tested us. On, it, it's just one big mental test. It's test of mindset over and over again because that, that you get to a point, it, it's almost obnoxious to the level of, of physical beatdown to where even if you're the strongest athlete in the world, you, you really can't continue to like, physically compete at a high level. So what keeps you going at that point is just mental toughness and, and they're testing mental toughness and resiliency. And more importantly is your mental toughness and resili resiliency in a, in a, in a very, very like consummate state of stress. And what they pay attention to is your attention to detail 
at a very high level of stress um, because proven over time, it's those attributes that allow people to be able to do missions successfully like um, you probably saw over the last weekend, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of social media out there about the bin Laden raid 10 years ago. Right. So to be able to perform at that high of a level at a at a, you know, a very high success rate with uh, very little flaw in a very complex plan without much in terms of contingencies, you have to make sure the people that are going to be on this team together, they're going to they're going to. Uh, uh, perform these complex operations are able to do at a high stress level, high attention to detail. Um, so that's what you're being tested for. Yeah. And that's the correlation. I mean, we, I want to get into that high stress level and how that relates to business, which we can all relate to, you know, so going back to, I mean, it's such a minor acceptance rate, as you mentioned, just the numbers of those to try out and get through and actually make it, you know, there were eight of you, you said that got through, you know, so yeah. back to that training, what was the most difficult part of your training or qualification <laughs> that they made you do to, to, to be enlisted? Yeah, it was, uh, that was, that's a very subjective question because it's different for <laughs> it's everybody, different for right? Everybody. Some people, some people it's, it's the, the physical activities that you have to do that just are beyond anything they can handle. Some, sometimes some people it's the grind of every day waking up, knowing it's going to be, you know, we have a saying in the SEAL teams, the only easy day is yesterday, right? So knowing that every day is going to be harder than a day before, for some people, it's it's um, like events, like evolutions, like the underwater stuff you have to do, the breath, the breath holding, and the underwater swims, and the not tying underwater. For some people, it's it's uh, it's, and for a lot of people, it's the the constant exposure to the cold, and that's what really breaks people down. If you had to ask me why, the number one reason, and I, I I'm assuming this is still true today, but in my era, the number one reason why people quit SEAL training, people that when I showed up, I'm like, man. Holy cow, like that dude, there's no way I'm going to compete with that guy. That's coming in. I was like, I mean, I have positive mindset, like that's going to be my challenge. But I was sizing people up like, oh, man, what have I gotten myself into? And then fast forward a few months, it's just me and a few other guys left, right? So uh, it's the cold. It's the cold that really, really, uh, that's that's the great equalizer. And then I think, I think the element that's very different in SEAL training compared to other special operations training is the high degree of stress in the water. And that really, that really creates, that's very, makes people vulnerable because people know that, well, in high stress and water, you can drown, right? Like there's a correlation there. Like it's, it's, it, it's so, so putting people in that environment where, you know, it's, you can't just walk away. You're sitting in water, right? Like I think the combination of the water and the cold, it just crushes people. It just crushes their souls. And that's what, when you go through SEAL training, it's the constant, you know, if you're doing, if you're doing a regular workout, like a PT in the morning, they would be be consistent with anything you saw in any any special operations training anywhere. Well, the difference in SEAL training is you're not just doing that. They, they, they keep taking you and putting you in the water, bringing your core body temperature down to hypothermic conditions, bringing you back up, and then making you do it again and again and again and again. It's, it, you know, it's, uh, you know, rinse, recycle, repeat over and <laughs> over and over. And people just break and drop. I remember one time, and this is just a little anecdote to give you kind of a sense for how, how significant this breaking down process is. Um, I remember we were out in the San Diego Bay. Literally, there was probably this point, like 60 of us in class, 70 in first phase. And they had us interlock arms. And we went out to maybe waist deep water, maybe maybe mid, mid stomach, mid rift section, deep depth of water. And San Diego Bay is a little bit warmer than the ocean, but still pretty cold. And they just kept us out there. 
And what they started doing is every time they, they hit the bullhorn, we had to stick our heads underwater until they hit the bullhorn again. And we pop our head. We just, you know, just, we just did that. It was freezing. Every time you put your head underwater, you got an ice cream headache and you're already shivering. And what ended up happening is like people just started dropping out of the line and quitting after a while because they couldn't, they couldn't wrap their mind around putting their head back underwater again for five seconds and that level of discomfort. And these are tough guys. I mean, these are really tough people. And you just, and the, the whole irony of it is to get to the dock to quit. They had to swim, fully submerse themselves in water. It's like, look, well, I mean, <laughs> come on. You, you, you're going to stand here and do it. Hey, but, I mean, we'd sing songs and kind of make it fun and, you know, cheer each other on and lots of smack talk. But the reality is that's the real, like, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, a lot, I had friends that went back and became SEAL instructors and they can talk to you really, really detailed about some of the stuff that's done to you to break you down. But from my perspective, as a guy who went through the training, like that's, they take you the great equalizer, the cold, the water, that's very unique about SEALs. And they just, they just beat you with it until you quit and people just quit. They just, you just watch people, but better runners, better swimmers, you know, stronger, uh, could do more pull-ups, more sit-ups. Uh, better shot those guys just drop like flies it's interesting because i had a friend that was in the seal training um you know many years ago and he said very similar i mean the hardest thing for him was laying in the shore interlocked you know as the waves crash yeah but he said at 2 a.m they would wake him up in it was january 2 a.m in san diego they took him off coronado and dropped him out of a helicopter two miles offshore and said swim in and that's when he was out he's like i'm out i just I, I couldn't oh. do it. He swam for about a hundred yards in the middle of the night, you know, middle of the morning, um, out there in the ocean. And then he had to get on the raft, which disqualified him. But, you know, it, you think about that. I mean, but the, that's the mentality, right? That you're talking about John is that really they're trying to stress you out to a point of where they can break you, right. Break you mentally, physically, right. um, where you don't want to go on to make sure that you can attest or stand in those high stressful situations when you're serving a country and you're overseas. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely that's everything you said. I mean, that's exactly what they do. And it goes back to, and what, this is where it gets really interesting is when you get to the point where you're, you feel, you know, you feel basically like you've been broken down, defeated. You still have your spirit about you because that's what made you successful. You, you, you push through it. You continue to push through it. One of the things that they teach you, and I think this really applies to life and applies to business for sure. And the instructors, the instructors are, and they're, they're, they're teachers. They're, they're not your friends until you graduate. Um, but they want, they want you to be successful. They know most people aren't going to be successful, but they want you to be successful. So they, 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 they tell you things along the way to try to help you guide you in being successful. And in this environment where, where it's, it's almost, if you think about it, it's almost chaotic. You're, 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 you're being physically depleted of your, your, your resources to continue just doing push-ups or doing a pull-up or, are, are, you know, getting over an obstacle mentally, you're, you're getting destroyed because physically you're getting destroyed, but you're also in an environment where it's extremely uncomfortable and people that you look up to that you meet in training that you think you might put them on a pedestal or you might not, um, people you benchmark yourselves against they are quitting. Right. So, um, and they, they, they tell you, they're like, look, if you look at this in the grand scheme of things, you're going to quit. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get demoralized and you're going to give up. And they tell you little things and they and like, you know, like, look, just let's just take this one evolution at a, at a time. Just be successful with this one thing that's in front of you. Don't worry about the the, the obstacle course and three mile run. I'm going to throw your way in a couple hours. Don't worry about 
me calling you out of the barracks tonight and all the, the hydro reconnaissance that you're going to do in freezing cold water with the waves crashing on you, don't worry about that stuff. Just worry about finishing what I'm asking you to do right now and doing it really, really well. And that gets back to controlling your mind and being resilient and, and being able to operate at a high level of stress. It's those sort of, it's the little, the training and the, and the, the way they, they teach you to process information and focus on the here and now and be successful at that um, in order to, in aggregate, what you end up accomplishing is something really great. But uh, in order to get there, you're not going to get there if you're, if you're always in fear of the future, if you're always worried about that evolution, two or three evolutions down the, down the road um, from where you are at that current moment, especially with so much overwhelming stimulus coming your way. It's interesting. You know, as, as you mentioned, I think even greater than business, you know, which we speak a lot about on the podcast here. But when you think about life, just practices of life, how you mentioned, you know, they're trying to break your spirit, but at the same time, help you to be successful. And, and, and part of that's one step at a time, right? It's not looking at everything that's in front of you, but, you know, how can you take this next step before, as you mentioned, the obstacle course I'm going to throw at you later today, right? It's that little thing. And I think there's a lot of value there for anyone listening, just that positivity, that mindset. And, and you see successful people, whether they're entrepreneurs, um, you know, Navy SEALs such as yourself, John, they, they've become successful because they're resilient, right? They're persistent. They're able to overcome adversity. They're able to um, see the big picture, have that positive mentality when everything around them seems to be falling apart. And, you know, most successful entrepreneurs can, can say that thing and say, look, they're successful because they've had 20 failures and now they finally found that successful venture. Right. Right. And I think there's a implied in that is, and going back to the little anecdote I gave is the level of focus. Focus is just such an important thing, especially in the business environment. Um, when you're, when you are an entrepreneur and, and when you're starting to get success, because it's hard to get success on day one, it takes a lot of work. You're grinding it out. Uh, you're, you're staying true to whatever your, your business, your mission, your product is, right? But as you, as you start to get some success, you start to get pulled different directions. You get uh, opportunities that might look really, really interesting. Uh, you know, years ago, I did a software startup, and we faced this all the time, where we were creating a product-based company, and we would have, you know, big corporations come in and say, yeah, but I'll give you a few million bucks to build me this little thing over here that I really, really want. And when you're starving for revenue and you're building it, that seems really exciting, but the opportunity cost of going after that is that you now don't have the bandwidth anymore to continue building the product in the business that you had envisioned because your resources are thin and you've diverted them to something else um, that takes you takes you off course. Um, that was a lesson that I learned in software that's kind of applied along the way. Uh, but I think it's very consistent what you're what you're you're speaking about, Brad. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, you use the term focus, and it's you know the the more professionals I speak with and they use that term focus and whether it's marketing or branding or, you know, business strategy and the angle that we want to take the firm. And I've seen that now with our company, you know, the challenges we've had in the past, I don't feel our focus was exactly where it should have been. We weren't marketing our capabilities, what we should be doing. But as you mentioned, that laser focus, which is something that's been instilled in you through your training as a Navy SEAL, you know, how, how much more of an advantage you have now with that clear focus, especially as CEO of Killcliffe. And for those listening that aren't familiar with Killcliffe, who um, I, I know a lot about Killcliffe because, of course, you know, we've we've met through that and through a common um, network that both you and I have. And Joe Rogan, for, you know, he's a big podcaster. And, of course, he's a spokesperson for Killcliffe. So tell us a little bit about Killcliffe and, 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 and the company itself. Yeah, Killcliffe, we're a clean energy drink company. It's, it's an absolutely fantastic company. 
we've been around, believe it or not, for about a decade. And like many, many companies, we've had our ups and downs trying to find our way into into hitting our stride, which we've we've clearly hit our stride in the last couple of years. And it's been really, really exciting. But Kilcliffe was founded in 2011, actually started a little bit before it was became an actual you know, company and corporate and said, hey, here, here, we, here we are. We have this this really great, you know, uh, different take on an energy drink for for the consumer. Uh, Todd Ehrlich, who I served with in the SEAL teams, was the founder of Kilcliffe. And literally, he had this idea. He's like, you know, there's nothing on the market that's low caffeine, that's all natural, that tastes great, that's kind of a functional beverage, naturally occurring energy from B vitamins and electrolytes. In a in an RTD, uh, you know, cold drink can be in a, a fridge at a convenience store or at a bar or wherever uh, format. There just wasn't anything. I mean, there's there was Coke and Dr Pepper and coffee and tea. Like there were energy drinks. Um, they were legit. Like you know, lots of sugar, lots of artificial sweeteners, synthetic caffeine. Um, but there was nothing really filling that niche. And so so Todd created a drink with the idea that I can create something that's that's tastes better, that's healthier, that provides you more functional efficacy. Um, and it was pretty baller because he's, he literally just, he found, he, he called, he called all these flavor houses to work with him and nobody, I mean, he's just one dude in a garage. You're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he finally found, he found, he wrote a guy who I believe had been, had been, there was an article about this guy who I can't, I can't, I think he may have been working with the university of Alabama. Anyway, Todd ended up writing him a letter. The guy is the first person to respond. Todd's like, here's the, here's the ingredients I want to put in it. Here's what I'm thinking. If we can put ingredients in that reduce inflammation in the body, if it can taste great without having sugar and artificial ingredients, if it can have, you know, naturally occurring energy, that's what I want to get after. And I really want it to just taste great. And they went back and forth and back and forth. And he finally came up with a formula he liked. And then he found somebody that would do a one-off production run. And he literally ordered 8,000 cases and put it in his garage with no plan. <laughs> like literally, that's what he did. And so he teamed up with a good friend of his who's still with us today, this guy G.W. Garrison, who's actually – actually, you'll meet him. We'll be out in Arizona. Um, G.W. will be uh, will be with us. guy's fantastic. He's the first employee. And they started Distribution Network. And Distribution Network is, if you like the way it tastes, call us, and we'll show up in our Acura where we have it in the trunk, and we'll give it to you. And that's how <laughs> that's how Kilcliffe started. Now, what was really interesting, and unbeknownst to them at the time, is Kilcliffe struck lightning in a bottle. What ended up happening is – uh, it didn't take very long. It was right at the time that the CrossFit community was becoming this thing, and it was becoming really popular. CrossFit had kind of began popular in the latter part of the decade before, but it wasn't until like 10, 11, 12, like it really started to take off and manifest and become this this super popular sport with, you know, with you know athletes and games and big sponsorship dollars. What really made that sport happen is when Reebok showed up and said, hey, we're bringing real money to the table. Went to a CrossFit game, gets a quarter million bucks. Like that changed everything, and that's when it became real. So that happened. That that happened to to coincide with the timeline of Todd creating the drink, and all these guys. By definition, we had guys in the SEAL teams who were doing CrossFit and drinking Tilcliffe, supporting the brand. Guys in, in Army Special Operations, same thing. So we had all these people that were kind of doing CrossFit in, in Kilcliffe, and word just got out. It was very viral, and it just took off in a very viral way. And the company literally exploded overnight from this is a, a few cases in a garage. The holy cow, we have all we have thousands of CrossFit affiliates selling it at their point of sale. We have big athletes that are sponsoring and sending to these these athletic events. We have uh, beer distributors bringing in and taking in convenience. 
and we just had this one drink. We had an orange drink that we called Tasty, and uh, and the the can had the crosshairs on it like a like a you know target from a from a sniper rifle, so mm-hmm. like like a scope. So, um, so that was how the company started, and it went from 2011 to 2015, just totally organic, from the 8,000 cases in the garage to becoming this 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 drink that proliferated and and it just got grown consistently triple digit at triple digit, triple digit year after year. Um, and in a very awkward way, Kilcliffe then and today does absolutely nothing like the rest of the beverage industry. We're, we're a unicorn. We do it entirely our own way. Yeah. So talk about that because I mean, before we get into the unicorn side, which fascinates me, cause I know you're more of a non traditional business, if you will, in a traditional business marketplace, right? Which we, you know, for those that aren't familiar with at least food and beverage and bottling, it's a totally different market. But um, you know, when I was speaking with John Brinkus, who was on the podcast, you know, early on, and that was his big thing. You know, he's like, I don't, Brad, I don't eat, you know, eat sugar. You know, I stay away. It's healthy things. And he was really big on Killcliffe at the time that it's, you know, this is an energy drink without all the loaded artificial caffeine and sweeteners right. and other things you see with these other name brands that are out there in the market that aren't, aren't healthy for your body. And that's where I know that's why it took off, especially in the athletic scene or, uh, you, you know, Joe Rogan, why he's part of that, as well as, you know, the, right. the CrossFit circuit because of that, that natural element that's part of the drink. Yeah. The, the product attributes for sure, Brad, that was a big, that was a big draw to a lot of people. That's why guys like Rogan consumed it. So, um, you know, the, the brand had, there were a couple of different attributes about the brand that, that propelled the early days of growth. And, and for example, we've talked about Rogan a couple of times, he's been drinking the product for four or five years. Like, it's not like it's a new thing for him. Mm-hmm. It's only it's only most recently that we've kind of built a partnership between our organizations, right? But but he's been organically just consuming it and because because it has all those attributes. So early on, the brand had these sort of these these three these three things that attracted people to it. One is the, it was the product attributes that it was exactly everything you just said and I said. Two was the brand had this military connection to a very a very tough community. You know, generally speaking, the SEAL community. Everyone knows the training's legendary. Um, very few people make it through. Um, and, and and when you look at the audience that first adopted it, military, veteran, CrossFit. CrossFit's a great space because these guys. They have hero workouts. They're very mm-hmm. pro-military, very pro, uh, you know, like they, they look up to people that compete at high levels of physical activity and special operations or in, in outside of that. They they look up to that. So there was that element. It, it, there was the the and then there was this irreverence that we took to the market because we're marketing our drink. We're called Killcliffe. I mean, think about that. It's Killcliffe. There's somebody's name in that Killcliffe. It's, it was an aggressive name, and the brand was really bold and irreverent. I mean, in 2015, the big marketing ploy was to create a 50-foot laser cat and launch it into to, to national airspace, hoping that it makes the local news for a big media blast. <laughs> I mean, we had laser cats and all sorts of stuff that I can't talk about in this podcast, but we were very irreverent and like and unapologetic in our approach. And those were the, the boldness, unapologetic, irreverent, knowing who we were, the mission to give back to the SEAL teams, connection to the special operations community, um, and the product attributes, those were the, the, the key core drivers of the business then. And those are the core drivers that are making the business successful today. It's interesting. So when you, sp- when you speak about that, explain a little bit more about why it's, it's more of a non-traditional approach to, to the bottling side of things, right? To the drink sector, you know, as far as the way that your company operates and runs. 
Right. So if you think about the traditional beverage model for, and I'll speak from a, uh, you know, like zero to probably a hundred million plus, uh, you know, framework, uh, the traditional beverage model for a startup beverage brand is going to launch locally. I'm going to get a couple of key accounts and a couple of distributors and it's, it's very retail driven. And if you get money involved, I'm going to, I'm going to spend money on, on placement fees all over the country. I'm going to spend money on big retail programs uh, to support my brand presence on the shelf. Um, and that's how we're going to build the business. To this day, you can look at brand after brand. Almost every new entrant in the last year in the energy segment, that's what they're doing. They have big money behind them. They're willing to lose massive amounts of money, $20, $30 million in a year, just to get – get shelf space distribution. And that's the beverage game. I mean, to this day, that's that's what companies do. Now there is, there are there are a small group of companies, some that have been very, very successful that have actually pioneered a path that we're pioneering um, as well, and that have taken an entirely different model. So, and if you go back and look at the earliest days of Kilcliffe, it was exactly that. So what Kilcliffe was in the early days, it didn't have any of that. We didn't have distributors. We didn't have retail partners. And if we did, we didn't have the money to give them to buy placements. It was just this was a bootstrap operation. Uh, what Kilcliffe did have was this organic interest from a community that wanted the attributes of our product. And they they liked the values of our brand um, that took it on. So what we ended up doing is we sold direct to wholesale. So we sold online to CrossFit gyms all over America. That's what Kilcliffe did. Right. That's crazy. Like no one does that. And this is before. I mean, e-commerce is amazing now, but 2010 e-commerce was great, but there were still a lot of platform issues, a lot of integration issues. Social media was doing well, still in its infancy from a marketing perspective. So Kilcliffe was, it, it didn't have money to market. It was all organic and we sold online direct to wholesale. That's crazy. Nobody does that. Um, and that's, that's how the business was built. And so what's really interesting is when we first got, when we first took on private money to scale up what we we're doing, because investors look at that and they're like, wait a second, these guys are doing everything wrong. Yeah. You, know how many times I, you don't know how many times I've heard that. In Q1, I grew the business 230% in retail and 360% online. And I still hear investors say, you're doing all the hard work. Well, I'm not. I'm doing all the easy work to a modern brand. But these guys look at it and they say, you're doing everything wrong. And if you just have our money and our people, then it's glory. Like, that's what they do. And so Kilcliffe went down that rabbit hole of bringing on – these are great people, all good intent, so no, no malfeasance. But just just a little bit of like, well, when you're that, 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 that outside beverage brand where everybody in the company has no experience in beverage and you're killing it and you're, you know, you're on like the Inc. 5000 for fastest growing businesses in the country at like number 103, and you're just like, holy cow, I don't even know what I'm doing and I'm winning – and you have people that have one and one and one over and over again coming to you and saying, hey, I can win with your stuff. Let me put some money in here and we're going to do this. We're going to take it to retail. We're going to go down a traditional beverage model. It's easy to be lured into it. And unfortunately, in the course of the Kilcliffe history, we we had a little sidebar excursion where we went down that path. And it, we lost control of the brand, not not from necessarily the investor standpoint, but we lost we lost focus. The original people washed out. There was a lot of there were a lot of challenges that happened during that time, and we 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 lost our identity for a period of time. Those things that I talked about that made us famous, that we were bold, that we were irreverent. Our product act future are always there, so the product was good, but we also we also lost you know 
our and we didn't lose our commitment, but we everything was was packaged up in a way that was wrong for us. It didn't represent who we were, and we we just we went through a bit of an identity crisis for a few years. Well, it's interesting. I mean, going back to the focus comment, I mean, that, that it, it tends to happen. You start diversifying or you're starting to look at a new venture because right. you're trying to bring on private money and, and, and you get, you deviate from the course, right? You deviate from the goal of the yeah. company and the focus that you had. And what's fascinating to me, John, because I know that you're, a, this is a big part of your roles working with investors. I mean, anyone that's had to raise capital, work with a private investment group, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to get them on board when you're doing something that's non-traditional. When they look at the bottling industry and there's this, as you mentioned, you raise capital, you're trying to get uh, distributors right. out there and get the marketing out there and put a lot of money behind that as you're trying to build that audience out there, right? Those silent salespeople to, to, to join the culture, whatever that energy drink is. And then, of course, get that shelf space. Whereas you're like, no, we're going direct to consumer, direct to wholesale, direct to CrossFit gyms. You know, so how, how did you bridge those conversations with the investors to help them understand that, hey, although our business model is different than anyone else, you know, this is successful and there's there's a lot of reasons why. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And there is an element of leading horse to water to drink. Right. So you kind of have to do that a bit. But there, there were so in our experience, and I'll speak to that because that's really what, you know, what the context is here that I know really well. Um, we had and, and I kind of when I look at businesses, because I've been just I fell into after the SEAL teams, I kind of fell into this, this, um, I guess, this, for lack of a better term, this career of, of working with companies that were stressed for various reasons and trying to turn around, typically VC back to private equity back. And you look at the market problems and the execution problems at the macro level, and then you kind of, you filter down from there into, well, what, what exactly do I need to fix the move needle? With Killcliffe, there were a lot of things that we had to create a, a realignment um, of our business, but there was also... Um, there was a, an element of, all right, so we don't have a ton of money in terms of just money to throw it. We, can, we can't have a bad, bunch of bad investments would be really bad for our brand. We just don't have them. We don't have the leeway to, to accept unacceptable risks. So what we need to do is look at what we are good at, what we can control. That was the first thing we need to do. And then to your, to your question, Brad, what we need to do is unpack that and say, okay, if we focus on what we can control and we make that as successful as possible, it might look different from what our investors are comfortable with in terms of process, in terms of focus, but the outcome will speak for itself. So we create a proof of concept around these these outcomes that we think we can achieve through the means that we're going through, and that's and it's kind of a, a, a you know a process, and you build confidence that way. You build confidence. We've taken very non-traditional approaches to marketing. We've taken very non-traditional approaches to sales. Um, and it's, it, there's been a, a trust relationship we built with our investors that they, they understand that we're not just, we're not, we're, we're being, we're, we're implementing a, a level of fiscal stewardship in our business that we're not going to make a bunch of crazy wild bets that are, they're going to sink the ship or they're going to undermine our opportunity to grow or waste capital. Um, and we, we engage our investors on things that we know they're better at than us, like scaling up production, looking at cogs, things like that, leveraging the resources the investors have where we know that these guys have been doing this for 30, 40 years. They've launched massive brands. They have huge relationships. Leaning into their relationships where it can help you in the fundamentals of your business and your operations, we, we took that very serious. We took fiscal stewardship very serious. So when we started out sort of Killcliffe 3.0 because our first phase was incredible, second phase was kind of weird, third phase is what we're on now, and we're growing like gangbusters, where we reclaimed all the things from the first phase, but what we did different is we, we looked at our, our investors as resources 
to help us optimize elements of the business that we didn't have as much experience on and resources where we could leverage their relationships to create outcomes that on our own we couldn't create. And then we we built a trust with them that the company we're going to build is going to be very valuable, but it, it's going to look different. It's going to it's going to feel a little bit different, but we're going there are things that we can we can agree upon. We're going to support our core mission, which is the Navy SEAL Foundation, and we're going to create products with clean ingredients. Right. We know we're going to do that. And by the way, we're a beverage company, so we're going to do that. But but we needed them to lean in with us on letting us do the things that we're good at, which is this whole this whole modern way of selling a beverage, which is direct to consumer, direct to wholesale um, and, and fostering that business. And then we need to lean on them to help us, you know, lay the basis for scale and the fundamentals and even coming in red teaming different elements of our of our P&L and our business to help us kind of reconcile it and make it tighter. So there's no real there's no I don't think there's any any magic formula. I think it was really a trust and relationship game. And then and it goes back to what I was saying about becoming a SEAL. It's focusing on the small wins that in aggregate prove your point, right? So that's what we had to do. And doing that, we built an amazing relationship with our investors who we're nothing like anything in their portfolio. We're totally different. And they're okay with that. Um, and uh, when we have opportunities to leverage their, their expertise, maybe we go into a, a retail account that's more of a mainstream blue chip retailer. Uh, those guys have a lot of great knowledge. They can drop on us some relationships that we can leverage. Um, so uh, that's that's how we run it. This episode is brought to you by Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove. For over 75 years, Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove has specialized in refrigeration, cooking, and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes. At AFT Construction, we look forward to crafting our client's dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams. To get this process started, we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment. It's that easy. Since Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove specializes in three major categories, we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop. The first one is that Sub-Zero handles refrigeration. They are the preservation specialist. Key features included fresh or longer dual refrigeration, advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls, and easy-to-use technology. Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your nearest Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom or click the link in our show notes below. Now we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. 
They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you think about any successful company, the more CEOs and executives I speak with, right? It's a common theme in the sense that, you know, you have to hire people that are better than you at certain positions and you have to rely on them. You have to empower them, give them the resources and you don't micromanage. I mean, you have to be in tune with every aspect of the business as any CEO or business owner is. But, and it goes back to, I know, John, you and I spoke about this offline. When you think about Navy SEAL, well, how much more important is, is that, right? You're reliant on the skill set of those you're serving with, those fellow Navy SEALs that have different skill sets. And even more so as a SEAL, because your life's dependent on that, right? Your life's dependent on being able to trust that fellow SEAL. And in business, your life may not be dependent on, as we know, but but your business and your acumen and your your target or focus is dependent on everyone who represents that brand. And and so you think about that, as you mentioned, that's why you're targeting you know, investors that, that get it, right? That say, okay, John, well, I, I, I believe in you. I believe in the Navy SEAL Foundation, things you're doing. I believe in the product, but I have this talent or I have this connection, this resource from, you know, whether it be branding or whether it be distribution or, you know, cost of goods, whatever it may be to help, uh, you know, build Killcliffe. Right. That's exactly right. And to go back to the, the Navy SEAL point that you brought up, Brad, um, when you're operating in the SEAL teams, you know, operating at a high level, there's extreme interdependencies, right? You're not doing it alone by yourself in a vacuum. Uh, if you're if you're doing something, you know, like a like a uh, you know a, a ship assault, or you're you're going and raiding a compound, or whatever you're doing in the SEAL teams, everyone has a role and responsibility, and they could be they could be a bit fluid in a in an operational environment. But the long story short is, it, 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 when you're in a platoon, you're assigned those responsibilities, and you become the expert for the life of that platoon on whatever that is, whether it's communications, whether it's demolitions, whether it's small arms, whether it's engineering, everything that goes into to having a viable platoon. The thing is we cross train a lot. So everybody kind of knows how to do everybody else's job to a degree. Um, but when you're operating, you cannot be looking over your shoulder, wondering if your teammates doing what they're supposed to do. You just have to trust that they're doing what they do. And when you see great teams, it, you see it in professional sports all the time, it's an interdependency. And, and when you're executing at that professional level in basketball, football, whatever it is, you, you see that when they're calling a play, you know, their expectation is you're going to be in that zone that you said they were when they're going to hit you with the pass. Right. So it's the same thing when you're operating in the SEAL teams and you're doing an assault. Right. You, you're there's a, there's a way in which you interact and op, interoperate with your with your your teammates, with your uh, support resources and it becomes expected that you're going to be interdependent at that high level. Now, if somebody goes down, you certainly have contingencies, how you're going to cover their responsibilities and all that stuff. But that's what makes teams great. That's actually, to me, that's the cornerstone of teamwork is the interdependency, right? Because everybody's, you know, there's always the, the, the common picture of all these people rowing a boat, right? But I like to think about like, because, you know, in a, in a real team, everyone's doing these, these different jobs to the best of their ability towards a common outcome, Right. And so that's, and I find that to be particularly true in the small business environment. 
uh, where if you if you want to see a small business not grow, find a, a, a owner or founder or leader that micromanages. Yeah. What you have to do because there's so much you have to do. I mean, there's so that's one of the great things about being in a in a startup environment and a small emerging company is you get to play in a lot of spaces, right? You get to do a lot of stuff um, as a person managing that business. But you know, for me, my my mo is I hire the best person I can find in the functional area that I know I need, and I give them the direction, I give them the resources, I give them the bandwidth to go get after it and do what they do. But I mean, my, my guy who runs e-commerce for us knows way more about than I do. If I tried to do his job, I'd fail miserably. What I could do is give him guidance on where we're going as a brand. I give him feedback on, uh, you know, looking at his numbers independently on what I think might be working, lean into this, what might not be working, independent perspective, but execution and what he does across all of our our paid and organic channels and our platform and our our, or our email and all that stuff like that's that's what he does really really well. I have I, you know I have other people in the team that do uh, like you know the like I I have I I have built a retail presence. It's a secondary priority of mine, but it's there um, and it's growing and it's doing really well. Well, that guy does he does that job right. So we all have our responsibilities and our dependencies, but I hire good people and I I actually really I value work ethic and enthusiasm over industry experience for many roles, because a lot of stuff can be learned. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I build the business. Yeah. When you start thinking about company culture, um, you know, the, the, the more CEOs that speak about that, that as you mentioned, if you have the enthusiasm, the company culture, the personality, you know, the, the work ethic, you know, we can train, we can teach, we can instruct some of the elements, you know, that, that's pertinent to their job. But as you mentioned, that's why the SEAL team has such a high success rate, that interdependency. Everyone's so locked in on that baton handoff, on what their role is. And, right. and I love that you brought it to the sports analogy too as well because I'm a huge sports fanatic myself. And I'm always fascinated, especially in the NFL, how you know you have these organizations with hundreds of people and, and teams and employees. And, and why is it that a lot of the same franchises are always successful, right? Because there's this culture and they get it. And then they have the right people on board, whether it be the head coach or the quarterback, and, and, and you've seen that. Right. Uh, because there's so much that's true to that, right? Whether you're a SEAL team or an athlete or a business, a small business, especially as you mentioned, small businesses are going to be successful if the owner doesn't micromanage and they learn how to empower the rest of their team. Right. Now, it, I think it applies, obviously, to the ownership class, the investors as well. They're involved in the business. Getting back to you know where we started this this uh, this discussion, I, and maybe maybe that's something you've seen. Uh, and some of the interviews you've had and, and investors you've worked with, but we, you know, that's kind of what we established is we've established a, a level of interdependency in a positive way with investors that are involved in our business where these guys are, they're, 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 fil they're covering down on things that we're not great at. And we're good at a lot of things, but there's things that we're just not great at. This is the nature of where we are as an organization and we can improve. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how do you manage that difficult conversation? You know, I, I think about a conversation with my clients where I have to sit down and explain to them cost of goods, you know, is changing because of COVID or delays, <laughs> right, from material or lumber that we've seen. I mean, th these are a lot of conversations I'm having with my clients. But on your side of things, you know, here you are, Killcliffe. It's a successful company. It's branded. But you have the the very respectable arm, the Navy SEAL Foundation, right? You're, you're big in the community. You're big in charity and giving back and donating. You know, so investors seem to be a little finicky at times when they're looking at the balance sheet or income statement and there's still the charity arm. I mean, how do you massage or manage that as, as you're growing as a company, investing back, right, in the SEALs and 
our military? You know, how do you handle those conversations so that the investors aren't just looking at the bottom line, but but the big picture? Yeah, um, and that's that's a really a, a terrific question because I you know I've sat on a bunch of uh, a bunch of panels in the last I'd say six months um, on the very topic of you know this this idea of of the uh, there's a there's a word for it, and it, it maybe you know it's 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 you know just being a socially aware organization, whatever mm-hmm. that might mean. For us, we happen to support a military organization and a military community that represents all walks of life, right? That's great. But our first and foremost, we're focused on supporting an organization where we know they're going to support the families of people that are putting themselves in harm way, right? So, so that's just to, to give you a little context. So I, I, it's been an interesting discussion because there's a lot of companies. That they they speak a big game, but they actually don't put their money where their mouth is. And we do, and it's been hard. It's been hard at times. There were times in the early days of Killcliffe, no kidding, I kid you not, where Todd Ehrlich was, he was cutting checks to the Navy SEAL Foundation before he knew how he was going to make payroll. Right? That's how <laughs> that's how important the mission was. And so when investors were coming on, there the big there, there was this this sort of connection. Like this is this thing that we do that's in the DNA of the company. And if you're not willing to support it, then we'll find other investors. We're not that desperate. And that's the approach we took. So we found alignment and made it easy. But one of the things that, that we've done in the last couple of years, just to be ingenuitive, because we want like one of our goals is to be the, the largest. We want to be the largest sustainable uh, partner to the Navy SEAL Foundation in terms of, you know, just supporting them with with uh, donations all the time. And um Obviously, that's, that's difficult to do. And what we did is we started building, we brought in new partnerships to our brand. We started looking at those partnerships and said, okay, how can we use this partnership to to serve our ultimate mission, right? So I'll give you a great example. So we, we, we're sponsors of the largest and most successful mixed martial arts team uh, in the world, Sanford MMA. They're aligned with, with Sanford uh Healthcare, which is the largest rural provider, I believe, of healthcare in the United States, um, and they're aligned with a few other organizations. So we came on as the as the exclusive energy drink and CBD beverage sponsor. And when we built that, we kind of leaned forward when we built that that relationship. We're like, we don't really have the money for this. We're going to figure out how to do it because we think it's really important to the DNA of our business, and it gives us you know it gives us access to fighters and influencers and a marquee property that we can build our brand around. So how do we do this? So what we did is we created a relationship with them where they, in turn, for because we support them, they're going to support us with our mission to raise money for the Navy SEAL Foundation. So Sanford MMA and the, all the fighters in their, in their portfolio have gone to great lengths to help raise money for a Navy SEAL Foundation. Which in turn for us, it becomes a sort of P&L neutral thing because we're accruing for a, for a, uh, a donation that we give, and we have partners to help support those donations through their own fundraising efforts. So in, in that way, we're able to to like it's kind of like a, it's a win-win for everybody. It helps us out. It helps us raise more money than we could otherwise give them. Um, it it you know it, it becomes a a sustainable funding stream for us. It allows us to activate around lots of lots of fighters. Um, and the Navy SEAL Foundation benefits from it all. So, I mean, that's kind of how we approached it. So, one, we, we found investors and partners that were aligned with our mission. And then we, we, we took a different approach and said, well, why don't we activate our partners so that they help us raise money? Um, so that makes, it, that makes it a lot easier 
for us to hit our goals every year. And it allows us to increase our goals, the amount of money that we're raising. Um, so that's that's how we did it. I, lo- I love that because I've seen companies, you know, that have that core value uh, giving back some sort of charity aspect and they don't deviate, right? No matter how tough the right. times, the recession, whatever may come, they have that core value and they're going to make that a priority. Those are companies that tend to be a lot more successful because their focus, right, is on that aspect. And 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 if you have those core values as far as the charitable aspect, well, it's going to dictate how you're running your business, right? How you're treating your customer base, how you're treating your employee staff, right? That there's a cycle through. And as you sell your your team on that on that vision, as you sell your investors, right, there's this collaboration and and synergy you wouldn't otherwise have. Absolutely. And that's that's exactly, I mean, I couldn't have said it better. I was just, you know, um, describing it in a roundabout way, but that's exactly what, what we've done. So every partnership we go into now, uh, they're raising money for Navy SEAL Foundation. Man, that's so that that's amazing. And so from a marketing standpoint, not that you're going to leverage, hey, we're supporting, you know, the Navy SEALs and this isn't a, a reason why you should be purchasing Killcliff, right? Although that's an element to it. When you start thinking about marketing and branding, you know, you see companies that, that look at an influencer and how they can benefit the brand, right? I know early on Nike, right? They And Jordan, you know, they had this vision and Oakley did the same thing with their sunglasses, having Andre Agassi and some others, you know, so how has that impacted when you look at whether the CrossFit community or Joe Rogan or others? I mean, how has that maybe non-traditional marketing approach assisted, and you know, the focus of Kill Club? We've been really, really focused on organic, organic brand growth. And that's that's a really important thing to us. And it's it's a differentiator. I've been asked this in other podcasts, um, like industry panels. Are you worried about other beverage companies coming in, kind of usurping you, your business and doing what you're doing? Are you worried that, you know, and, and some people view the COVID as changing consumer buying patterns, maybe accelerating it 10 years into the future in terms of buying online um, instead of going to the storefront for certain products. Maybe that's true. I mean, our experience revenue-wise is that, yeah, that could be true. Um, but I'm, I'm not that concerned about new entrants that are trying to cop our business model, and I'm not that concerned about uh, increasing competition in the e-commerce marketplace because we've done it organically, meaning it's in the, the fabric of our of our partners and our influencers and our brand. And that's something that you really can't just put a price tag on. It's hard to go to go spend an equivalent amount of money to get the same effect. If you go if you go endorse LeBron James for an energy drink, which I think just happened somewhere, that's great. I mean, everyone knows what that is. That's a big brand endorsing LeBron James. How much authenticity does it have? Is, is it authentic? Mm-hmm. Are people going to say, I'm going to go drink that now because his face on? Maybe, maybe. But if, if like what we've done is, is we just focused on organically strong relationships. And then we supported and created alignment with the types of partners and influencers that we work with um, that we're giving them what they need to to pursue their goals and to, to, to win whatever winning is for them. And what we get out of that is we're, we're in the DNA of that brand. I mean, we have podcast relationships where we don't order off the menu. We're like, all right, I'm not going to buy a read every other, every other week for five grand a read or something. Instead, we we're like, you know what? I don't want to order off the menu. You guys talk about us whenever you want to talk about us. I'm going to give you guys this, and I, I want to be part of your the fabric of your organization, and that's the approach we've taken. It's very different. It can it can be a little bit a little bit slower over the long term to grow, but it's more authentic. Um, and that's I mean you that's what happened with 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 the the whole Joe Rogan thing. I mean that's he was already a power user of our product, and 
in 2019, we had launched a, we, we actually leaned forward. We were the biggest brand at our time. And I think we still are the biggest brand in the, in the country that, that has a CBD beverage. And we, we got out there in front of everybody and, you know, it was a little bit of a risky venture, but we saw so many of our core consumers in the, the functional fitness community, MMA community, military veteran community, all using CBD as a, as a, as a, a different approach to uh, managing their physical and, and mental well-being, then, you know, we, we're like, well, we are too. So why don't we create a product that has great bioavailability and efficacy that, that we, so anyway, that, that kind of turned a corner in our relationship with Rogan because he, I mean, we didn't, we didn't really have a relationship. We, he just loved our drinks and he was friends <laughs> with some of the guys that former seals that were always drinking our drinks. And that's how he got exposed to them. You know, other, other influencers we work with that are with them a lot that, we're always drinking our products. So we started drinking them. So it was when we brought out the CBD stuff, he was really excited about that. And we just approached him and said, well, Hey, why don't we start working together? And that was literally how it happened. And so now, you know, he's, he's an active part of our brand, but it's the, it was, it was authentic. I mean, the authenticity is there. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was there. And, and when we, when we established a relationship with him, we didn't say we want to, we want a formalized relationship where you're going to do all these things for us. We went to him and said, Hey, guess what? we want to reward you for what you've already done for us and you could take it wherever you want. And that's how we approach it. That's very risky. A lot of investors and marketers get nervous about that stuff. And in fact, our investors were really nervous because they're, I'm like, it's a leap of faith. And I was like, well, yeah, but I mean, the guy already loves our products and he drinks them every day and he loves being part of CBD. So, you know, it, it's hard as a small brand to get the platform our drinks taste great but most people don't know who we are so how, how can you level up and get access to uh, media platforms and other other you know partners that can really proliferate your message and you know all those things we talked about early on about the attributes and about the seal connection about the the vibe in our brand the authenticity the boldness the irreverence how do you get that out there at scale and do it in an authentic way and so this was a relationship that just that that just, it just made all the sense in the world. And then it got, it just got better and better. And I remember when we were actually me and Brinkus GW, a couple guys sitting around one day thinking about, and this was last summer. We're like, you know, we need to do a fifth flavor of our ignite drink for now, or not our ignite or our CBD drink for now, because we have five flavors of everything else. It just needs to be consistent. There was no real business logic behind it. It was like, it just feels like asymmetric if we don't have five. So we just texted Rogan. We're like, hey, you want to do this uh, fifth drink? Why not? You know? <laughs> Why not? You love the products. Why not create a flavor that you love? And he brainstormed it with us. He got all in and we launched it. And it was just absolutely amazing for our brand. And we actually this past weekend and yesterday, we launched a, um, a, a, a clean energy, just full on energy, no CBD version because – we don't, we have there's we have these two separate consumer bases and there's very little overlap so we have a lot of consumers that don't drink CBD and we want to give them a taste of the Rogan and our CBD consumers obviously love it so so we just launched that and it's been absolutely massively successful well it's super exciting it's interesting as you were sharing that you know and speaking about the authenticity that organic growth I you know I had Jeremy Anderson who's the CEO of Traeger and his mentality is exactly the same you know you build this community of people sharing recipes online. And it's like, we, we have a Traeger, right? There's this community of recipes and this we do on social media. I'm part of not just me, but others. And you think about Kilclef, well, we're part of that energy drink, but we're not, you know, we're that healthy sector, you know, for people that are no sugar, people that 
are in that health side, the CrossFit, right? And you build this organic growth. And, uh, you, you know, of course, you know, we thank you for your service, John. Just, you know, Navy SEAL is just amazing. And, and for you sharing just the similarity of business and being a Navy SEAL and everything that you're doing. And, and so what's upcoming and exciting? You alluded to this with Killcliffe, but what's up, upcoming and exciting that, that you're excited about? Well, there's there's a lot of great things. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something before I answer that question. Sure. It goes back to creating alignment, right? Alignment mm-hmm. in your organization is key. It's part of interdependency. It's part of teamwork. It's part of succeeding. It's part of focus, right? So, we we're talking about the investor sort of company interplay, uh, leveraging the different you know fundamental strengths or weaknesses to the same outcome, the same sort of focus and mission. I literally was on a call with the chairman of my board. Um, who's a, I mean, this guy's uber successful, big retail guy, sold companies, you know, for billions of dollars, this guy storied history, right? So he, we're talking a bit about our strategy and the things that we're doing. And he's giving some guidance. And he, he said, you know what, John, since I've been involved with this brand, I've come to realize that Killcliffe is the irreverent anti-beverage beverage company, meaning we do it our own way and we do it everything from messaging to our, uh, the boldness of our brand, the route to market, the priorities, the innovation, all that. It's, that's exactly what we're doing. We're doing it in an entirely different model, um, leaning forward in interesting trends in the market, um, bringing great products to the consumers and doing it in a way that will make you laugh, that's funny, that's in your face, that's bold, that's different, that's authentic. Um, and you know, if you want it, we're going to put it right in your mailbox. Well, it won't fit in your mailbox, so put it in your porch. So, um, so it was really hearing him say that was great because it means that we've we've created that alignment which we were we were we were working on doing, and um, and so so that was that was incredible. Um, so there's a lot of things in store for us in Killcliffe. Lots of great things ahead, Brad. We have, um, and we'll 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 do a formal announcement probably here soon. But one of the things we've been working with with John Brinkus, and it, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is being organic and authentic as the key pillars of our, our brand and our marketing strategy and how we're going to build a community. Because we, we have had that similar discussion many times in the business. And where, where the company went sideways is when the company started chasing communities instead of building its own back in 2016 through 2018. Company starts, well, we're going to go get into this upcoming Spectre. sports trend. And so we, we're chasing all these different communities instead of just saying, this is who we are. This is our field of dreams. Come to us. If you're like-minded, we don't care who you are. Just come to us. And and that's where we, we, we went as a company. And that's kind of how we succeeded. So we start, as we started thinking, I mean, and trying to be disruptive and being disruptive not only with products and messaging, but how can we how can we, we go to market and scale our brand in a way that's organic and authentic that doesn't it actually doesn't require, you know, just massive amounts of capital. So we've built uh, Killcliffe TV, Killcliffe Media. We have our own media properties. We actually have we were actually we're uh, registered as a as a as a, a, a music publisher as well. So we have our own record label. Um, we have uh, and, we, and that's been really cool. But we have we have this this thing called Killcliffe TV. You can actually go out in your your iPhone or Android right now and download it. Uh, we haven't announced it. Um, there there might be a, a set up an account screen that's going to go away. That's just temporary. Um, but you can go in there right now and preview and see it. And we have we have recurring shows every week from some of the biggest and baddest people out there. We have 
we have a show every week with the, with a couple of the band members from the band Megadeth. We have a show with with Ray Lewis, with Lacey Evans from WWE. We have we have a, um, a, a absolutely wild show with Sanford MMA. It's a it's a mixed martial arts uh, sort of. It's actually turned into more of like this video, funny video type show, but it's hilarious. So we have all this content, and and we're using this content in a way. It's it's we're we're helping people. We we created this platform, and we're helping people that. They already have massive audiences, create better programming for themselves um, to, to give to their their communities. Um, and what we're doing in exchange for that is is we're 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 publishing it on Killcliff TV. Uh, we're the sponsor. We're in and around all over the show. They're using our platform to create the show, and it's really a win-win thing where these as you know these artists and these acts are really excited to be part of it. They're really excited to get a high-value production. And, and to be part of it. And so they're organically supporting us. And in exchange, we're, we're beginning to get their audiences into our brand. Um, and we're still here at Ground Zero. We're not changing who we are. Uh, we're, just, we're just giving these people the capabilities to, to, to have a higher engagement with their consumers and their audience and their fans and bring them into our brand. Um, so that's a really cool thing that's on the horizon because we it's it's available now, but we haven't really formally announced it. Um, we did that. We launched the Joe Rogan Ignite drink this week, which is really cool because what's different about that is it's the same flavor. And and CBD is a massive opportunity for our brand. And we are by far the biggest CBD beverage in America. Um, and there's a lot of distance between us in second place. Um, but. CBD still has a distribution problem in terms of getting to places where it's easy for a consumer to access. So the Joe Rogan flavor is just so incredible that we, we put it in an ignite format just because we already have retailers across the country. So why not give them something that where people can actually get a sample of it if they're not a CBD consumer. So that just launched. That's really exciting. We have a big, uh, big media production um, over Memorial Day weekend with um, with John Brinkus. It's called Salute Across America, where we tie together and simulcast. Last year, we simulcast is 30 to 40 veteran-founded and veteran-led brands uh, concurrently. And we had we had guests, um, you know, ranging from like Rob Riggle and Jenny McCarthy to Bruce Arians um, to Ray Lewis to Bear Grylls. And they all came on. And they, they really, we just asked them, like, you know, what does Memorial Day mean to you? And will you do a salute uh, to uh, the men and women that have paid the ultimate sacrifices, the, the Gold Star families? Will you do a salute to them just to remind them that we, we're thankful for the sacrifice and we appreciate what we have in this country because of them? So we put that together. We ended up hitting an audience. And this is something that just being a small, scrappy brand, it's a big idea. With a guy like John Brinkus as our CMO, it's easy for us to piece together. It'd be disproportionately expensive for somebody that didn't have a guy like him engaged with the brand. And um, and we, we literally affected 30 to 40 million people over Memorial Day weekend last year. So this year we're bringing it back. Um, we also have a really, really cool um, – we have a really cool package design that's launching. We just – we just passed the million-dollar donation mark to the Navy SEAL Foundation. Amazing. So telling you a story back when Todd was stroking checks before we could make payroll, uh, we've accumulated to now we've now raised more and donated more than a million dollars to the Navy SEAL Foundation, which is incredible. Uh, we have some really interesting and cool packaging coming out that's going to run from Memorial Day through Veterans Day that's going to just pay homage to 
the sacrifice and the work of the Navy SEAL Foundation over a 20-year period. Last year was their 20th anniversary. Uh, this year happens to be a 20th year since September 11th, and they've really worked hard to support the families. There's been a lot of uh, tragedy in the community uh, on the missions that they've been tasked with over the last 20 years. So we have a can that's very respectful. It basically says thank you and also calls out the, the impact we've been able to make with our consumers. So we have that coming out. Uh, this summer, it's really cool. We have some innovation in the CBD marketplace for our CBD consumers later this fall. Uh, we have, I don't know if you saw it, but we we, we have a, a partnership with probably one of the most exciting mixed martial arts fighters in the world. Uh, he goes by the, the handle Stylebender, Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion in UFC. He's an incredible fighter. Um, and we're going to do, we're, we're going to do some collaborations with him. Uh, very similar to what you've seen from with Rogan. So, that's going to be super exciting. Um, we have he's he's deeply engaged with the brand. We happen to have a puppet show, and he loves our puppets, so he's been pushing out our puppet videos. Um, so, uh, and that's also going to be on the Killcliff TV app. The we call it uh, uh, Team Killcliff. That's a temporary name, and we have a whole bunch of puppets, which are absolutely hilarious and off the hook funny. Um, so those are just just a taste of some of the things in store. You're going to see innovation. You're going to see content. Uh, you're going to see uh, you know kind of uh, a, a, a little bit of a just a reminder of our core of our mission of who we are um, a little bit of our DNA as a brand um, and we couldn't be more thankful for the great relationships and partnerships we have because that's when you're building a brand organically and trying to really really grow it in that way that we talked about with authenticity you know your partners become a really important part of that um, and and the, and the interdependencies you create with them so so we're really thankful for all of our partners that have been involved in our brand and that they understand who we are and that we are a little bit different and um, we think a little bit different. And um, we uh, we could we at times may offend people, but the, our goal is to make people laugh, have a good time and um, and enjoy an ice cold Kilcliffe. Well, I love that. I mean, it's been amazing, John, just your story, you know, all, all, your history as a SEAL and, and how that's related to business. And now the success you've had at Kilcliffe and all these ventures, we're going to be following along and we'll have them all tagged here in the show notes. So again, can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise and knowledge with our audience today. Yeah, well, great, man. Anytime. I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for, for allowing me to be a guest on the show. Quite an honor. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation so if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.